Masechet Yoma, uh, page 18, we begin with the Mishnah. Uh, this is the second Mishnah of the Masechet. Masrulo Zikenim Mizikne Bet Din Vekorin Lefana Beseder Hayom. So the first Mishnah we already talked about that the Kohen Gadol gets uh, sequestered for seven days. And now we're going to talk about what he what happens during those seven days, um, that the Betin are going to provide uh, two Zikenim to, from the Betin, and they are going to instruct the, the Kohen Gadol during those seven days. And this is what they do. They read before him, Seder Hayom. They can read from Aharemot, uh, the whole chapter. Every day they'll read it to him uh, so that he knows what to do. And not only do they read it to him, but they say, please, Mr. Kohen Gadol, you read it yourself. Maybe you're, you forgot it. Maybe you once learned it and you forgot it. Um, or maybe you never learned it. All right, this is quite quite surprising uh, that they would have to do this. First of all, we already saw that many of the Kohanim Gedolim during the second Bet HaMikdash only served for a short time, a year or two. So uh, almost every year, there was a new Kohen Gadol who never had done it before. And furthermore, as we'll see as the Talmud says, many of them were not necessarily uh, so, um, so uh, learned or pious. And so they needed to get all this education. Uh, Yom Kippurim, Yom Kippurim, And so, all six days they would read the uh, they would read the uh, Torah to him. But then, Adiv Yom Kippur, that specific day, you see how we're going in chronological order. Now we're getting closer to Yom Kippur. They would put him in the eastern uh, stand him at the eastern gate of the courtyard, and they would pass before him uh, the parim, parim, the Kohen Gadol brought parim for his own kapara, and so say, look, here's a par, right? What are you going to do with this par? So, right? They would review. Then the uh, ayil, right? What are you going to do with that? Kebasim, what are you going to do with those? So that he would be uh, familiar with the service that he's going to do. Kol shivat yamim, lo hayu all seven days, he could eat and drink as much as he wanted, right? Totally fine. Um, but on Erev Yom Kippur, close to nightfall, um, they would um, they would not let, let him uh, eat very much. Because eating makes one sleepy. And they don't want him to be uh, tired because he actually has to stay up all night on uh, Yom Kippur tonight to make sure he will not have a nocturnal emission and thereby become Tameh. So this is quite interesting because uh, most everybody else, we have a special mitzvah, we eat a lot on Erev Yom Kippur and we have the Sudam of Seket and we, had a, we have a big meal right before Yom Kippur starts. That's good for everyone else, but the Kohen Gadol, we have to make sure he will be Tahor, so he has the opposite schedule. He eats a lot the whole week, but not right before Yom Kippur. All right, that's the Mishnah. Very interesting details. And let's discuss them. Bishlama Shema Shachach Lehaye. Okay, we understand. Maybe he forgot. That's fine, right? Maybe when's the last time he learned Sefer Vayikra? Maybe he learned it back in fourth grade. He didn't learn it in a while. It's a lot of uh, fine details. Okay, so everybody could use a refresher. We understand. Ella Shema Lolamad Mimok Minan Kihai Gavna. But to say that he never learned it? Right? Can it be that a Kohen Gadol would be appointed that never learned basic, you know, Parashat HaShavua, never learned Sefer Vayikra? You know, in those days, they would actually learn Sefer Vayikra first. 
before Bereshit, because even kids had to know about the laws of Tuman Tahara. Although they don't have to keep all the laws themselves, they can bring Tuman into the house. So, you know, Vayikra was very basic. So to such an extent, he would never have learned it. After all, you can't just pick anybody, random person to be Kohen Gadol. Kohen is called Kohen Gadol, not only in the sense that he is the chief Kohen, but also in reality, in his character, he has to be uh, stronger, uh, finer looking, more wise and richer. Uh, why all these things? He has to gain everybody's respect. He can't be someone who's going to be bribed or, right? He has to have, uh, he has to have power and connections and command authority. And these are all things that will help him command authority. The one for us is Chokhmah. He has to be knowledgeable. He doesn't know basic things about the Torah. Furthermore, let's say he does have a lot of the qualities, but let's say he's not so wealthy. Uh, so the Acherim uh, say that his uh, colleagues, the other Kohanim, should um, give him some money. That way he will be wealthy. So they elevate him to make sure that he will have all these things. So in any case, everyone agrees he has to have wisdom. So how could it be that you said here that maybe we have to teach him, maybe he never learned anything, uh, but then he wouldn't be qualified to be Kohen Gadol. The answer is, When we absolutely require this highest level of knowledge, that's talking about the first Beta Mikdash, when the Kohanim Gedolim were knowledgeable, when the second Beta Mikdash, uh, the institution became corrupt, starting with before the the before the Hashmonaim, uh, already you had uh, um, Hellenizers who uh, wanted to who bribed their way to become Kohen Gadol and abused the uh, their power. That's why the, the uh, Maccabean revolt happened. And then the Maccabees themselves uh, became uh, became more Hellenized and corrupt. And later on, right, uh, it was a regular thing that people would uh, pay the king uh, the uh, to become Kohen Gadol. Um, so the Amar of Asi, and we have one specific example of uh, this Marta Bat Baitos. You might uh, recognize her name. She is one of the people that was very wealthy, a very wealthy uh, Jewish woman. And uh, the story about her is that when the Bet during the siege of the Romans, uh, during the Great War, 66 to 70, there was so little food that uh, she went out uh, barefoot to try to look for any food and she stepped on some dung and died. That's how, uh, that's how um, spoiled she was and how little food there was. So she's a famous person that lived during the destruction of the second Bet HaMikdash. Anyway, beforehand, sometime in the 60, 64, 65 CE, she donated uh, this amount, uh, this Tarkeva uh, Dinare, the three kav of, of coins, and she gave it to King Yanai uh, in order to put Yehoshua ben Gamla to become Kohen Gadol. Okay, this Yanai Malka, I mean, the Yanai we know, King uh, Alexander Yanai, 
uh, was one of the Maccabees, but it can't be him because that would be, he lived 200 years earlier than the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash. So um, it's not talking about him. The person she would have uh, given the money to would have been Herod Agrippa, uh, who, was, who was in fact the, uh, the ruler, the king at, that, at this point. Um, but this Yoshua ben Gamla, we know actually a lot about him. This is very interesting. Um, we, because Josephus mentions him, and he's also mentioned in the Mishnah. Let's read the Mishnah first. Uh, Mishnah in Masechet Yevamot says, is talking about what a Kohen Gadol, we know, cannot, has to be married to a Betula, cannot marry a widow, a divorcee, or even a widow. Uh, the question is, what if Ireset Amana? What if this person, before he became Kohen Gadol, he was he became he did kiddushin with someone who was a widow, and then he uh, he became Kohen Gadol. So now what? Can he stay 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 uh, uh, married to her? The answer is yes, right? Because he entered that relationship before he was Kohen Gadol, so it's okay. He can continue. And in fact, it says there was such a case of Yoshua ben Gamla. That's our person who uh, kiddush he did. Kiddushin, he married Marta Bat Baitos, and then he became Kohen Gadol after. Who's filling in some important information, right? Why did Marta Bat Baitos uh, uh, bribe the uh, the king to have this to have Yoshua ben Gamla to be Kohen Gadol? Well, according to the Mishnah, she was married to him. So this way, this would uh, bring her great honor to be married to the Kohen Gadol. Okay, so that's one place, and he's also mentioned uh, um, uh, a lot in Josephus. Josephus says he actually knows him, he's a friend of his. Um, so he calls him here Jesus, the son of Gamliel. Uh, Jesus is just the Greek way of writing the word Yehoshua, it's just short. We say Yehoshua or Yeshua, um, so the J in, in, uh, in Greek is a, is a Y sound. So um, it's actually quite a common name, it just kind of means Josh. Um, anyway, he became the Kohen Gadol instead of this other guy in the highest priesthood because which the king had taken from the other king, uh, Agrippa, removed the old Kohen Gadol and put Yoshua ben Gamla uh, instead. Um, and because of that, there was a lot of fighting among the high priests for one another, and they got together body people of the boldest sort, and first they came to reproaches, they would, they would say mean things at each other, and they ended up throwing stones at each other. So you see this competition to be Kohen Gadol was uh, quite fierce. Okay, in another place, Josephus mentions that when he was a general in the war against the Romans up in the, up in the Galilee, he had some political enemies that wanted to remove him, to get him fired. But this, Yehoshua ben Gamla was a friend of his, and Yehoshua ben Gamla found out about the plot to uh, fire uh, Josephus, told Josephus's father, told him, and he was able to uh, keep his job as the, as the general. So it's amazing that Josephus, we know, was actually a, a good friend of this, uh, this Kohen Gadol, Yoshua ben Gamla, even though he was only Kohen Gadol for a short time, just a year or two. Okay, so um, that's just a little line in the Gemara, but it has a whole history uh, behind it about this, uh, this personality. All right, and now we get to the next section, Erev Yom HaKippurim, Shacharit, right? In the morning, they, they would pass the different animals before him. So we mentioned three different kinds of animals, but we didn't mention the Se'irim, right? So Tana Afa Se'irim. So there's a Tosefta that says, they also passed the goats before him. Now, 
what are the goats? You know that there's two se'idim, right? That they would do the lottery, one Hashem, one gets sacrificed, one the Azazel. And there was also another sayed where there'll be the for the Musaf offering. So there were three se'idim, and so the Tosefta adds that in. But now we wonder, Vitanadidan, our Mishnah, the meaning the author of our Mishnah, my Tamailotina Se'idim, why didn't he include Se'idim? Doesn't he have to know what they look like also? He says, no, Kevande Alchet Ka'atu. Because the Se'idim come to atone for the sins of the nation. So if you bring the Se'idim that morning, then the Kohen Gadol is going to think about all the, 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 the sins that the nation had done that whole year, and he'll become weak-minded, he'll become uh, uh, distraught, he'll, uh, he'll um, become depressed, and then he won't have the strength to go and uh, do perform all, all the services. So, so you know what? Better to, we'll just tell him about the Sayyid, but we don't want to uh, we'll rub that in and remind him of all the sins that he's responsible to make sure to atone for. Okay. Well, if so, if you don't want to bring an animal that is for atonement, the par, the right, the bull is for the atonement of the Kohen, his family, and all the Kohanim. That's also atonings, and you're going to remind him of his sin. So why don't you not bring the par either? So there's a difference because uh, the part, since it goes for himself, his own family and his brothers, his colleagues, the Kohanim, so he knows about the, the sins that he might have made or that his colleagues may have made. He's in charge. So if there's something wrong, so it's good that he knows about it and he'll encourage everyone to make Teshuvah. So that's those are things he knows about and, and can control. So that's why we do bring the part. But for the Sa'ir, that is to atone for all of the Jewish people. He doesn't know all the sins of the Jewish people. He can't actively go and tell each person this is what they should do. And therefore, that's not going to be, it's not going to be constructive. It's only going to be depressing to him. Therefore, he does not. And this is the common uh, folk saying that people say, if uh, the um, the son, uh, if your nephew is a police officer and you see him in the marketplace, you don't pass before him, stay away. Why? Because your nephew, because he's a family member, he knows all of all the things that are going on in the family. He knows your finances. He knows what you might, been, might be doing wrong. So you might want to stay away from him. Therefore, you see those who, who, who we are close to, we know more about. So too, the Kohen Gadol, he knows, his, he knows his own family. He knows the other Kohanim. He knows what they've done wrong. So um, not that he, that, not to hide it, but in that, in that case, to help them make Teshuvah, other people are just strangers and they, he doesn't know. All right, now, Kol Shibat let's talk about his diet. Tanya Rabbi Yehuda ben Nekosa Omer, Machilin Otoselatot Ubesim, Kedele Masmeso. Um, okay, so we should give him so, selatot is not salad, but solet comes from solet. Uh, you should give him some fine flour and eggs. 
and that will that will be good for him to loosen his bowels because we don't want him to have to relieve himself on Yom Kippur. He's got a lot to do on Yom Kippur. Kohen Gadol has to do all of the services, even the ones that are you know the regular tamid. So um, in order not for him to be distracted, so we uh, want to uh, um, clear um, clear out his intestines. Amru lo kol sheken shatamvi oli de haimum, but Rabbi Yehuda. Uh, they, they told him, they both told Rabbi Yehuda, this is not a good idea because these, these foods, fine flour and eggs, um, bring the, well, can bring the Kohen Gadol to a state of arousal, and then he might have a seminal emission and he becomes Tameh. So actually, uh, you're, uh, they're counterproductive, so more negative than positive, so do not feed him that. So while we're on the topic of diet, here's some more advice. Tanya. We should not feed him. We'll see what these acronyms stand for, um, uh, all these things, and also not white wine. Um, okay, all these things are going to cause him to be uh, to be aroused. So these are not good. So what does it stand for? Lo avi lo etrog velo besim velo yain yashan. So do not eat etrog or eggs or white uh, or old wine. Amrila lo ababi. Another others say they add another bet. Lo etrog lo besim. That's the same. Velo basar shemen. Not fat meat. Velo yain yashan. Veyeshomrim af lo yain lavan. Ipne shayain lavan. Rebiet adam. Because those will bring someone to an emission and cause him tum'ah. Okay, tenora banan zav. Now we're on the while we're on the topic of uh, food items that can cause someone to have an emission. But now we're talking about a different emission, that of a zav. Uh, zav is not a seminal emission, but some kind of uh, a discharge from a disease, like a, like a, like kind of like gonorrhea. Um, so a zav, if he sees just for one day, he's uh, he's uh, he's uh, tameh only for one day. But if he sees two or three days in a row, then he becomes a zav gadol, and he has to wait. Seven days. If it's three days, he has to bring korban. Uh, so that's the law of zav. Now, uh, if he sees this emission, this uh, fluid, whatever it is, then uh, it's a problem unless he can explain it as, as because of something he ate. Right. In other words, he's only going to be tameh if it's something that is related to his being his having this condition of being a zav. Um, and but if he ate something that causes uh, such an emission, then he can say, oh, it's because I ate that, it's not because I'm a Zav. Uh, so this, what kind of foods are that? So Zav tolin lo bemachal, ma'achal. So regarding a Zav, we do take into account something he ate, and no matter how much, how much he ate of it, and all different kinds of food, so if he can explain it that way, then he will not be considered a uh, Zav Gadol. El Azar ben Pinchas omer mishum rabbi be'yehuda ben betera en ma'achinen oto lo hagbi velo gabim velo kol devarim ha'mevi'in lideh tum'ah. So he says, do we uh, we should not, if someone is uh, is a Zav, he sees a, he sees a mission for a day, and now he's, uh, or a day or two, and now he's trying to get clean from it, right? So we should not feed him any foods that will cause him to see another emission because then he's not going to know, is it from the food? Is it not? So he'd rather not have an emission at all. Therefore, stay away from the, fo- the following foods. So he gave acronyms also. What do the acronyms stand for? Lo chagbi, lo halav, lo givina, lo besav, lo yayin. Not wine, uh, uh, milk, uh, cheese, eggs, and wine. 
um, velog, uh, I mean, these are like uh, white milky substances, uh, some of them, so which probably reflects the uh, substance that uh, is that uh, he emits. Uh, so don't eat anything like that. Velo gavam megirisin shel ful ubasar shamen umuriyas. So this is uh, there's some kind of a soup made out of pounded beans, a bean soup, and not fatty meat and not fish in brine. Uh, so all these things, uh, these av should stay away from. Okay, good. Velo kol devarim lo kol devarim imlide tumah. And the list before, and they said, and don't feed him not the whole bunch of things like eggs and not anything else that will bring the Kohen Gadol to Tum'ah. So why does it say anything else? What is it coming to include? So there are five things that cause people to have emissions that will make them Tameh, and they are garlic, and purslane eggs and arugula. Okay, we're going to talk about arugula for a bit. Uh, we're going to quote a, a story in Melachim Bet. The story is in a time of Elisha when there was a famine in the land. And Elisha tells one of his, uh, uh, one of the, the Benanivim, one of the students, uh, go out and make a stew. So the student goes out, he says, He goes to gather sprouts. He finds all kinds of other things, including some kind of wild vine um, and gourd, and he puts it in the soup, and then everybody gets sick. It's some kind of poisonous thing. So they call on Elisha, Elisha puts flour in it, and he makes it better. That's the story. Anyway, the part we're interested in is this uh, orot. He said, go out and find orot. So this must be something that's uh, good for you. As in fact, gargir arugula. And what are the benefits of arugula? If it's called gargir, why do they call it also orot? Uh, because it enlightens, the, uh, enlightens the eyes. So eating arugula is good for your eyesight. Now they said, we think carrots. No, not true. Arugula. If you find any arugula, you should, if you can eat it, eat it. If not, put it over your eyes and that still will have medical benefit. Uh, this is only good if it's on the border of the field and not when it's in the middle of other plants. When it's with other plants, the other plants take away its nutrients. So better when, when you find it and it grows on its own. So there you go. Arugula is generally good for you, especially good for your eyesight. However, uh, if you happen to be Kohen Gadol on Erev Yom Kippur, you don't want to eat that because it can bring someone to become Tameh. Um, okay, now more advice about uh, about nocturnal emissions. If you are a guest in someone's house, so do not eat eggs. Um, also, don't 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 uh, uh, sleep in the garment belonging to the homeowner because who knows? Maybe this guest will have a nocturnal emission, and then they'll be embarrassed. Uh, when the uh, when the host sees it on the on the bedding or on his clothes that he lent to the to this guest, okay. Rav 
So while we're talking about the topic of uh, someone going to an inn, right, going on a on a on a trip and uh, possibly having nocturnal emissions, so we mentioned these two these two rabbis who do this surprising practice. Rav, when he would go um, to this place, Tarshish, um, he would say, uh, "Who will be my wife for the day?" Rav Nachman, similarly, when he went to Shechem Ziv, he would say, who will be my wife for the day? Okay, this is quite surprising. I mean, these uh, sages are known to be pious in many, many other, many ways. And even regarding uh, sexual mores, there's other stories about them uh, uh, um, uh, uh, prohibiting and stopping others from doing things that uh, are out of line. So uh, what, what gives them this, uh, you know, and they're not criticized here for this. So what's going on with this? So um, this is uh, Professor Elman uh, wrote an article about it, about this. And uh, he shows that this actually was a somewhat common practice in Sasanian Babylonia, uh, where, where, the, where Rav and Rav Nachman both lived. And so the, uh, the Zoroastrians, the Persians, they would do a practice that was like this uh, mentioned in their, in their works uh, they, the reason they do it is completely different. Uh, they would do it because, uh, let's say, a woman uh, marries uh, uh, someone you know outside the family, but they would want her to be able to uh, have children within the family also, kind of marry a close relative. And so, how can you do both? They would use this temporary marriage, right? At some point during her marriage to someone outside, she would marry also a close relative, have a child there, and then that way she can um, be uh, extra fruitful uh, both outside and inside the family, uh, something like that. Now, uh, obviously, halacha would prohibit anything like that. Uh, you can't go and marry someone else and then return to a first marriage and certainly not be married at the same time, a woman to two men. So nothing like that would be okay. However, it seems that uh, the rabbis uh, do uh, borrow something like something similar to this. And uh, the reason here is when a person uh, is away, he's going to have thoughts and he's not with his wife. So there's a, a statement that is said elsewhere that the, uh, the desire for a woman is harder on the body, it weakens him more than the deed itself. So there's a bunch of statements, both in um, Zoroastrian literature and in the Talmud that talk about uh, sinful thoughts being worse or more harmful than sinful deeds. So therefore, this is the summary that Professor Amin says, temporary marriage, marriage, which was an important element in Sasanian family law to ensure a more fruitful use of women's fertility, entered rabbinic Jewish society, because you find it only in the Bavli, not in the Yerushalmi, right? So this was not not, not, people were not doing this in, uh, in Roman society um, as a defense against sinful thoughts. So ironically, both the, both the, in, the institution and its rationale of Britain's society were Iranian, though in a profound sense, the justification was Jewish, right? So even though kind of the practice itself was uh, something you can see, uh, the rabbis incorporated it into their worldview. Um, and so that way, when a person was away, he would not have uh, base thoughts. So that's his, uh, that's uh, Professor Alman's uh, thesis. Uh, to back it up, you can see the context here, which is um, about a uh, someone going on a trip and staying at a host 
and then having thoughts at night. And so, you know, uh, to so avoid these foods. So, and that's ex exactly the context that is brought in. So I think that th that does back up the thesis um, that this is a way to prevent someone when they're on a trip to have uh, sinful thoughts. Okay, the Gemara is also not actually so comfortable with it and is going to ask us a, some, a couple of questions. We have a Braita that says a person should not marry a woman in this in one country, have children, and then go to a different country and marry again, uh, marry another woman and have children there in a different country. Uh, not because of polygamy, a man is allowed to be married to to a woman, uh, the, but the problem is that those, the children from one country and another, the other country, maybe one day they'll move, they'll meet and they'll marry each other. And they won't realize that it's a, a brother and a and they're, they're half brother and half sister. They have the same father. Um, and so this, uh, that is a skip the words in parentheses. And then they will create a mamzer. In other words, if they're like living near each other and they know each other, so then they all know, okay, you know, we're, 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 we're brother and sister, we're half, we're half siblings, but if a different country is no good. And if you do, someone does that, then they violate, they're going to um, fill the whole world with lewdness. Um, so this is a problem. So how could Rav and Rav Nachman, particularly when they go away to a different city, uh, do this, and maybe they have a child, and maybe the ch children will marry and create mamzidim. That's the question. The answer is, These sages, Rav and Nachman, they were well-known, they're famous people. So everybody will know, the kids will know, everybody will know that this is the child of Rav or the child of Rav Nachman. And so if when, they, when it comes time for them to marry, everyone will make sure that they do not marry each other. So therefore, this is something that uh, the rabbis or famous person could do, but not, but not anybody else. Okay, next question. We have another halakha that when um, a man uh, asks a woman to marry him and she agrees, she has to uh, assume that she might have, she might bleed because of that, maybe because of the excitement of knowing, oh, I'm going to go get married, that will cause her to see blood. And therefore, she has to uh, wait for seven days, seven clean days. Um, this is a halakha that is done today, right? If someone wants to just all of a sudden get married, they cannot. Um, that that uh, from the time, um, seven days before the wedding, she has to make sure that she has, does have these seven clean days um, uh, because of this halakha. So Rabbanan, havu. I mean, this came up uh, recently. Someone was uh, was had a had a wedding planned, and then because of COVID, a year ago, they wanted to move it up and do it uh, uh, sooner. And they said, you know, can we do it this weekend? And this was a problem. You can't just uh, you can't just move up a wedding. Uh, within seven days. Okay, so here that's the problem now to Rav and Rav Nachman because they come to a city and they say, "Who wants to be my wife for a day?" So then they're going to do a shotgun wedding, kiddushin, nisuin, just in that day. The problem is, as soon as they do kiddushin, she accepts the ring. She has to wait seven clean days, so they couldn't possibly then sleep together. 
so the answer is Rabbanan Mikdam Havu So the sages actually would inform them before their trip, right? So they would a uh, week or more before the end, they would send messengers to say who wants to be the wife of Rab or Rab Nachman for the day. And uh, and that way, though someone agreed, so then they would wait the count the seven clean days, and then they would be okay. Uh, that's one answer. A second answer, Second answer says that when Rav and Rav Nachman went to these places and they would uh, uh, have get a wife, they would do Kiddushin and Nisuin, but they would not actually um, live together. Uh, they would not even um, they would they would they would uh, be in seclusion together, but that's it. They would not consummate their relationship. They they would not have uh, sexual relations. Um, and so, what's the point? And how is that going to help them at all? Well, uh, we have a, a statement that says there's no there's no there's no. Uh, um, uh, there's uh, uh, very different someone who has bread in his basket and someone who doesn't have bread in his basket. In other words, when someone's hungry, but you know, I have a sandwich right here. So then you're, you're okay. You can wait, you know, another few hours, you can wait till later. Um, it's like the second a fast is over. You don't feel so hungry because you know you can eat anytime. So if you had to wait a few more minutes, you wouldn't care. But when there's no bread around and you feel hungry, then your mind is always thinking, oh no, I have no bread and I feel hungry. So the analogy is uh, this, these rabbits, if they're away from home and there's no wife and no woman, then they're gonna their thoughts are gonna be bad and they uh, that's gonna distract them and uh, and cause them you know sin uh, uh, thought of sin as we mentioned it can be worse than sin itself. But if they have a woman who they're married to, even though she has she has to wait seven days and all that, so they can't actually be with them. Uh, but okay, they can wait. And uh, knowing that at, and at some point they could be with this woman, so then their mind is at ease and they won't have to think about it. Okay, now this response does not really work if it's, they're only there for one day. And uh, here we can be helped with some manuscripts. Um, most of the manuscripts would say that when they go to a certain place, they would say, who wants to be my wife for a day, Yoma? Right, Yoma means one the day, one day. However, you see in the Munich uh, manuscript, which is a good Sephardic manuscript, it says, Man yome, who wants to be a wife for several days. So maybe they were there, for, they would go away and stay in a certain place for a, a couple of weeks. And in that case, um, it would actually work out better. They could stay there and they could get married that day. They wouldn't be together with this uh, woman. Um, they could live together. Uh, that's a separate problem, by the way. Um, if you if someone is uh, nidal during the wedding, um, they can get married, but they can't go home together. He has to go back to the guys, and she has to go back and stay with the with the girls. They can't even live together. Um, all right, but that's a side a side problem. Anyway, so here it would be for several days, and also the second case for several days. So in that case, if he's there for more than seven days, he can always say, "Oh, I'll just wait seven days, and I'll be okay, and maybe I'll never sleep with her at all." But it will help his uh, psychology. Um, you see, in some other the manuscripts, it actually skips the second one altogether. But this is just a mistake. You see, it skipped from the word yoma to the word yoma. The scribe saw the word yoma here and thought that he already wrote this and skipped to the next one. So by mistake, they skipped the second example of Rav Nachman. Um, so that would be that's the manuscript. And this so this was the the practice. So bottom line, uh, do not try this at home. And uh, don't try it when you're traveling either. Joel, question?
yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit confused. I mean, why are they being so, so, so mahmir about nocturnal emissions? It's not like they're a Kohen Gadol that needs to remain pure. Good. And right. So not that, even during the time of the Behemoth Bash, right? Uh, correct. Correct. So, yeah. So for the Kohen Gadol, for the technicality that we want to make sure he's Tameh. For Ravana Mahman, it's not about that, but rather just about the thought, about the thoughts, having, having sexual thoughts um, at night is just not a, not good. It's not a good character trait. Um, so we want him, uh, you know, when they're home and their their wife is there, even if she's Nidaz, you know, they're not having, uh, they can control their thoughts. Uh, when they're away, then they're going to be uh, um, uh, thinking bad things, imagining bad things, and that's what they want to avoid. It just seems very far-fetched that this really is, was the case. No? I mean, where would you even find a wife to do that? Who, um, who would agree to this? Well, that's the point. That's uh, that Professor Elman's point is that this was a, uh, a well-known practice in Persian society. Uh, so um, therefore, uh, who would agree to it? widows? I mean, uh, you know, there are um, uh, uh, for, you know, uh, unfortunately, widows in the olden days, they could not, you know, they couldn't get a job. They didn't have their own uh, wealth. And so widows often became zonot. So this is a step higher, a step better um, uh, than, than that. So there are people that would agree. Maybe uh, uh, the, other, the Rishonim bring up other questions. You know, to get married, you have to get, write a kituvah. You can't get married without a kituvah. So these rabbis, every time they did this, are they going to pray, pay 100 zoos, right, to, to, to the woman, which would be a lot of money. All right, so there's a lot of technical problems. Really fascinating, um, but uh, let's uh, move on. Uh, okay. Mishnah, next Mishnah. Masaruhu zikne betin, le zikne kihuna, ve ayaluhu, bet abtinas, vishpiu, vinifteru, ve halahu, lahem. Okay, so after that, after the elders of the court, the messengers of the court, taught them all the laws in the Torah and showed them the animals, then they would hand them over, like, you know, a, cust- a chain of custody, to the elders of the Kohanim. And they would bring him up to a second floor chamber called Bet Avtinas. Avtinas was the family that was, that knew how to make the Ketoret. And there they would make him swear that he's going to follow all the laws that the, that the Pharisees say to do. And then they would leave. Um, and this is what they would tell him. There's a question here, who would actually make him swear um, from the, uh, the, it looks like it would be the the Zikne Betin gave him over to Zikne Kihuna. So then it'll be the Zikne Kihuna that do it. But you're going to see a second from the language here that it has to be the Zikne Betin that make him swear. Um, so maybe they stick around for that swear and then they hand them over to the Zikne Kihuna. So this is what they would say. Vamrulo Ishi Kohen Gadol, Mr. Kohen Gadol, Anu Shiluche Betin, Vata Shiluchenu, Vishalech Betin. Right? So we are messengers from the Betin, be from the, from the Sanhedrin. And you are our messengers. In other words, we are we are t- instructing you, and you are also being sent by the betin. Your authority here is only because the betin g- gave it to you. We make you swear upon the name of He who dwells in this house, meaning meaning Hashem. That you will not alter. From even one one matter that we have taught you, what are they so afraid of? 
well, there was a huge machloket between the Pharisees and the Sadducees regarding the ketodet that is brought inside the Kodesh Kodeshim. In the Torah, which we just read, if you read it explicitly, it sounds like the Kohen Gadol would carry coals in one hand and the ketodet spices in the other hand, go into Kodesh Kodeshim, and while he was there, he would place the spices on the coals and then create the, the incense smoke. That was done all in the Kodesh Kodeshim. That's what the Pharisees said. The Sadducees, however, said, oh, how are you going to walk in without a cloud of smoke to block your view? So they said they, that the Kohen, while he's in the Kodesh, before he goes in Kodesh Kodeshim, should put the spices on the coals there and then walk in afterwards. So this was a huge uh, controversy. It's a problem because he's there in private, right? I mean, it's, it's co he's covered there. Nobody else is with him. Nobody can even see inside. So no one really knows what's happening. So therefore, they make him swear that he's going to do what the Pharisees, meaning what the rabbis tell him to. And then, who poresh he leaves and goes on his way and cries, and they also cry. Why are they crying? The fact that this oath was necessary and they had to suspect him and he was suspected. So it's actually a nice point that uh, even though they had this political uh, problem, halachic problem, and had to make sure that he did the right thing, nevertheless, they felt bad, right, both ways, the fact that they came to such a, a situation because some Kohanim they could trust, but not others, um, as we said, because they would bribe their way to become Kohen Gadol. Um, now, after, the, after he's trained and they gave him the, uh, the, this uh, swear, they would um, they have to keep him up all night and entertain him. And so if he was a, a scholar, then the Kohen Gadol would teach, right? Teach a let go, teach a lesson, he would teach all night. Um, if he was not, then the, some rabbis there, sages, would teach in front of him and keep him going. If he knows how to read, read Tanakh, then he will read. If he doesn't know, if he doesn't know how to read, can you imagine this? An illiterate Kohen Gadol. Uh, then we read in front of him. We read him stories. These three books, because they're good stories, they're entertaining, they're easy to follow, and uh, that will keep the Kohen Gadol interested and awake the whole night. We mentioned other books, but Zechariah says, I often, many times, I would read for the Kohen Gadol, the book of Daniel, great stories in Daniel, right? And on the lion's den and the fire. And so this was a, a, a great thing to read, uh, to, to read before him. Uh, so that's the end of the daf. We'll see more explanation of this tomorrow. I'll just end by mentioning that um, the Rosh Hashiva in Gush Etzion, when I was there, Lichnestein, he would actually stay up all night on, on Yom Kippur, um, and he would teach a shiur. Uh, and there were students that would try to stay up as long as, you know, as, as long as possible, but it uh, didn't matter. He would stay up anyway. So um, this, is, uh, this is a practice that uh, he wanted to do to uh, increase his own uh, kavanah and sense of kedusha on Yom Kippur. Baruch Adonai Amen.